Macworld Podcast number 38, May 3rd, 2006. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Saruz Faravar. Today on the show, I'm very excited. We're going to be playing some audio comments. Last podcast, as you probably remember, I announced a contest to have people send in audio comments so that they could win a prize. I got some great comments from China, from Australia, from Canada, from Europe, from across the U.S., uh, from all kinds of places, and I'm really excited to hear from people uh, in their own voices, as I'm sure you know, um, I do love uh, the audio medium, uh, podcasting medium, the radio medium. Uh, it's really intimate and it's really friendly. And, you know, when you're listening to this podcast now, it's like I'm talking directly to you. It's not like I'm, uh, you know, talking to a whole group of people all at once. It's just me and you in the headphones. So we're going to be getting to those comments uh, a little bit later in the show. Firstly, I wanted to direct your attention to the new June issue of Macworld, of course, we've got our great cover story, 47 Great Mac Stuff. Um, this is where the editors compiled some of their favorite things. Uh, and of course, me being a geek, I went and, and compiled uh, some of my favorite things. So I'm going to walk you through uh, a few of my favorites. And if you have your magazine in front of you, this is on page 64 and 65. Uh, and I got to write about uh, my favorite geeky things. One of my favorites uh, in the category of websites, or I should say two of my favorites, is there's a new website that you might have heard of called Dig, D-I-G-G dot com. Um, it's sort of like the older tech news site Slashdot, except the only difference is, is that Dig allows people to vote on tech stories that they think are cool and interesting. So you click a button and it says Dig This, and that means, you know, I think it's cool, go check it out. Uh, so you can read what the most popular stories on Dig are at any given time. But there's a website that combines Dig, Slashdot, and another website known as Delicious, uh, Delicious slash Popular, and um, this is called Dig.us. The address is D-I-G-G-D-O-T dot U-S. This is, of course, all in the show notes. But this website combines all of the feeds from those different sites. So if you review all those different sites, one feed. It's all unified. It's really cool. Um, another new favorite site of mine is um, done right here in San Francisco, and this is known as Valleywag. Valleywag.com is the latest in the Gawker media empire, uh, and it's a really great blog talking about Silicon Valley gossip and tech industry gossip and who's hot and who's not and why and where they are and what they had for lunch today and all of those things. Uh, just like you know, Gawker in New York City and Defamer in L.A., We've got our own Valley Wag right here in San Francisco, and it's done by a good buddy of mine, Nick Douglas, um, who lives here in the city, and uh, he's got all the inside dirt on all everything that's happening. So if you're into the tech industry, tech gossip, you want to know what's happening, check out valleywag.com. It's one of my favorites. Just a couple others. One thing that I listed under the silly things category, you can plug into a USB port. A couple months ago, I know it's kind of old, but one of my favorite rock bands uh, out of Toronto, Canada, Bare Naked Ladies, came out with something called Bare Naked on a Stick. This is uh, just a little USB flash memory drive, um, you know, the kind that, that you know plugs right into your USB uh, port. And they released a whole album, uh, I believe it was of Christmas music last winter, uh, on a USB stick, and it retails for $30.00. Um, and you can get it at their website, and it's it's really cool, and I, I really like the idea 
of uh, bands releasing music on different types of media. Of course, you know, we got the iTunes Music Store, but, you know, now you get a memory stick, you copy the music off, and you got a memory stick, and, you know, you got some music, too, and it's DRM-free and uh, all that great stuff. So, Bare Naked Ladies, uh, Bare Naked on a Stick. Just another quick one, kind of weird one in the category of USB things, uh, from iMation. They've got a new USB wristband. If you remember, or at least back when I was in middle school, there were these things called slap bracelets. These are these sort of weird plastic bracelets that you'd slap on your wrist and they'd wrap around instantly. Um, this is kind of like that, except it's a memory storage device. Uh, so... It's like a flash drive, but it has a little plastic wrapper thing that you can wear around your wrist. And the other end is just a, just a, something to hold the USB plug in. So that's how it closes. Um, so you just wrap that around your wrist and you've got your flash drive and you won't lose it. You can carry it right there on your wrist. Uh, kind of weird, but, you know, maybe kind of practical too. Um, sells for $35 from iMation and it's available at their website, iMation.com. Um, but yeah, so those are, those are just some of my favorites. And if you turn the page on, in your June issue of Macworld to page 66, we've got a great story entitled New Life for Old Photos. And it's by one of our contributing writers, Derek Story. Uh, Derek Story is an expert in photography and digital photography and editing and all of those kinds of things. And, uh, so we invited him to do a special segment on this week's podcast on his article, New Life for Old Photos. So I'm going to pass the mic over to Derek Story. Hi, I'm Derek Story, contributing writer for Macworld Magazine, and I've been working on an article with Kelly Turner about taking old photographs, things that you have stashed under the bed and shoeboxes and old albums and so forth, scanning them and getting them into your Mac. And it's a really cool piece because it allows you to take images that, you know, haven't seen the light of day in a long time and suddenly share them with the world. And one of the really good uses for this, one of the things that you can do as your family historian is actually dig up some of these great old images that go way back, uh, even uh, beyond your childhood and so forth, put them all together by scanning them and getting them into iPhoto and sharing them with the rest of your family. And what a wonderful way to sort of bring your family history, you know, into reality, into today, instead of just waiting for someone to discover this stuff, you know, many years later. Now, really, all the tools that you need to do this, you need a scanner, of course, and scanning has become much easier these days. The price of scanners have come down and they're quite reasonable. And the software for OS X is actually quite good. And then if you have iLife 06, you basically have the rest of the tools that you need to do this project. I recommend that you first, you know, you'll cull through the photos that you have, you know, go through them, and really look for a way to tell a story, to tell the story of a part of your family or to tell the story of maybe your own childhood or, or, or how the family maybe moved from the East Coast to the West Coast. There are all sorts of, every family has a story. There are all sorts of them. But kind of organize your photos so that you have a series of images that tell some sort of family story. And of course it helps if you know a little bit about the people in the shots or a little bit about the activities that they're doing. Once you scan these images, 
then. I really like organizing them in iPhoto. I think iPhoto is a great way to go because not only can you, you know, create albums and add keywords and do things like that, you can also take care of a lot of the light image editing. And even in iPhoto, you can touch up little spots and things that sometimes happen with the older photographs. Once you have them organized into some sort of story, then with iPhoto, or with the new version of iLife, uh, iLife 06, you also have iWeb, which is a great way to take these images that you have in iPhoto and publish them on the web so that other people, regardless of where they live or how far away they are, they can look at the images and share them with their friends. And I think, you know, I, iWeb is easiest to use when you have a .Mac account. But even if you have your own personal website, you can build photos in iWeb and save it to your hard disk and then publish it on your own website. Of course, if you do have a .Mac account, then it's pretty pretty easy. All you do is once you build your web pages in iWeb, you just publish it directly to your .Mac account and send the URL to everyone and anyone who would be interested in looking at these images. And it's a great way to actually put into use some of the things that we write about in the article. I think one of the most important things to do while you're working on this project is gather as much information as you can to go with the photos. Part of the problem with looking at old family albums or shoeboxes full of uh, photos is that often there isn't a lot of information to go with them. And so they don't really come to life in the way that they would that if you knew all the people in the group shots or you knew the activity that was going on. And this is an opportunity that you have because within iPhoto 6, you, know, you have the information field there where you can write um, a little bit of uh, contextual uh, information, you know, the caption to go with each of the images. And then when you publish these shots on I, using iWeb on the website, then you can also put this information with it. Now, another thing to keep in mind is that even if you don't know uh, everything that's going on in the shots, that once you get them out there and you're sharing them with the world, you're sharing them with the rest of your family, then you can solicit their feedback and then fold that back into the website. The web can be a great collaborative tool, and it allows you to pull information in from all over the place instead of just relying on the bit of, of data that you have with you. So, for instance, even if you had hardly any information at all, but you had these great shots, you could add what you have, send the URL out to family members, and let them know in the email that includes the URL, hey, I really need more information about this shot and that shot. Do you have anything? Do you know what went on here? Do you know who that person is on the far left? If you do, please send it to me. I will incorporate it into the website, and then I'll republish it. This process of going back and forth a little bit over a period of time can help you fill out the web page and really create a full family history. This is just one of the ways to use these fantastic tools that we have at our fingertips, and it's something to keep in mind as you read the article. So go out there, dig up those old shots, get them scanned, get them into iPhoto, and share them with the rest of your family. 
You'll be surprised what a rewarding experience this can be. That was Derek Story, author of New Life for Old Photos, one of our feature stories in the June 2006 issue of Macworld. Also, you can get all of his stories, and this one as well, up on our website at macworld.com. Now, I'm happy to segue into our audio comments section of the show. Uh, as I said before, I'm really excited. Um, I, re- I got to hear some, you know, voices from places that I didn't even know uh, existed. I have a world map above my desk um, at Macworld, and I really like, you know, hearing, especially people who, you know, are coming from faraway places, or even places in the U.S. that I didn't even know about. We got a comment coming up from a place called Clyde, North Carolina, um, and I didn't even know where that was, and so I, you know, fired up Google Maps, and, and there it was, uh, just south of Knoxville, Tennessee. So, anyway, uh, if you hear your comment on the show, I will be sending you an email, if I haven't already, letting you know that you get your choice of prize. So the sooner you email me back, the sooner you get to pick uh, what you'd like. We've got a few different types of iTrips up on the show notes, as well as a couple of iPod mini leather cases from Vaha, uh, two in black and two in pink. So if you know what you want, then email me. If you don't care, then I'll just pick whatever we have left and I'll, I'll send it out to you. But be sure and email me your mailing address uh, so I can get that out to you as soon as possible. Now, if you if you didn't hear your comment on the show, don't despair. Next time on the podcast, we'll be playing some more comments. I've picked about half of the comments, or I should say, I'm going to be giving away half of the prizes this time around. So don't worry, you might still have another chance uh, next time. Also, if you haven't had a chance to make an audio comment or question for me, please do send it in. My email address is cfaravar at macworld.com. Also, remember to please say your name and say where you're listening in, wherever you live, uh, the city or the country or, or whatever you like. That would be really great. So please go ahead and send those in because I'd love to hear from more of you guys. It's, it's, it's really fun for me. And I hope it's fun for you as well to find out where the other Macworld podcast listeners are elsewhere in the world. So without further ado, here are the comments. Hello, Sarus, and hello, listeners of the Macworld podcast. My name is Jan-Willem Schram, I'm a 21-year-old student of the Education of Media and Entertainment Management, and I'd like to first compliment you on the great job you're doing producing the Macworld podcast. I know for, uh, from experience myself, since I'm active in the field of radio, how difficult it is to make a natural-sounding and very informative program, and I think you're doing a great job at it and are really succeeding with it. And to continue on that, you said we could send in any questions that we had, so that's what I'm going to do right now. I myself have a Mac Mini. It's uh, still the old model. I'm very happy with it. It works like a charm. I've got a 20-inch cinema screen with it. I really love it. And I'm curious to see if I can run front row on there. Um, I know that there have been, um, let's say, amateur... Uh, ways to get front row running on there but is there an official solution is apple going to release front row officially via uh, be it an update or maybe be it a software that you can buy via the uh, the apple store um, is there anything known about that because i haven't really been able to f- uh, to find a lot of information about it and are they going to release the new apple remote with like uh, an infrared eye uh, that you can place on top of your mini so we can use the remote instead of third-party hardware Well, I'm curious to know if you have an answer for me. I don't have any clue which editor would be the best to answer it. Maybe you know it yourself, uh, but I'm curious what you let me know. Thank you for your time, and um, thank you for your answer in advance. And again, continue what you're doing, because we really love it, 
Even here in the Netherlands, it's a great thing to listen to the podcast. Signing off from Breda in the Netherlands, this is Jan Willem Schram for the Macworld Podcast. This is Jason Snell, Editorial Director of Macworld. It's great to hear from the Netherlands as somebody who, who uh, at least my family name comes from the Netherlands. I love to hear from the Netherlands. Um, and thanks for your question. Front row is an interesting question. I think it would be easy for Apple to release essentially a front row pack that was like a USB infrared receiver and an Apple remote and a CD with front row on it. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they never release it, though, partially because I think they are focused on putting it on new systems and it's one way to make you upgrade your hardware. Just, you know, that's not nice, but they are in the business of selling hardware and they might do that. Um you know, you can get it by downloading, like you like you alluded to, downloading the Mac or the um, front row update, uh, downloading the front row update, and then applying a patch to it. And that's sort of technically not legal, but you can get away with it. Um, I think that might end up being your only recourse. It's possible that they'll release something, but for Apple to go to the work of releasing a product that's only for systems that are old, systems that are last year's model, I think Apple is really quick about casting old products overboard and focusing on the future. And that sucks if you're somebody who has a a Mac mini first generation because it means that they're not going to give you front row. But I think that that may very well be the case. Um, If you don't want to go the sort of gray area route of patching the front row update so that it runs on your system and then finding uh, another infrared remote to use or a, or a Bluetooth remote like uh, Selling Clicker, which works with front row. Um, the other thing you could do is look at a product from Equinox called Media Central, which is uh, a front row alternative. Um, that's equinux.com. You can see the link in the show notes as well. Um, that's a product that is inspired in some ways by what Front Row does, but is available for any system. You can download it, um, and it's extensible. It works with things like ITV that Front Row doesn't work with. And although it might not have all of the sort of smooth edges that Front Row has, um, it might be exactly what you're looking for. So it's worth giving it a try and seeing if 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 Media Central might do for you what you were thinking Front Row would do. But otherwise, I think you might need to get a new Mac Mini in order to get Front Row. Sorry to say. I have a question for Macworld Magazine. I was wondering if you ever thought that you would switch from a print-based magazine to a downloadable PDF. I think it's really interesting that you are asking Macworld Magazine a question on a podcast from Macworld.com because that says a lot about how the world is changing. Um, you know, we're not just a magazine. We are a magazine and we are a website. And in fact, we're a bunch of websites. So, um, you know, was there a time when we thought that we would be taking a print magazine to a PDF? I mean, we do that now sort of through Zinio and, and you can go to uh, Zinio.com and subscribe to Macworld and get it as a download and you read it using the Zinio reader and not Acrobat or Preview, but I mean, it is based on PDF. You know, that said, it's a magazine and any PDF version of a magazine is going to be uh, an electronic version of something that was laid out for paper. And so 
I would say that the better question to ask would be, did you ever think that Macworld would transform from something that was all about getting ink on paper to something that was as much about getting pixels on your screen in your web browser as ink on paper? And at some point in the last few years, that answer changed from no to yes, and we started to think about it. And, you know, right now, the majority, I would say, of the content that is produced by the Macworld editorial department uh, starts life on the web first and then goes to print in a different form later. That's not 100%, but I would say that at this point, it's a majority of what we do at least starts out on the web, and some of that ends up in print in a different form, and some of it just stays on the web. And you're going to be seeing more of that. Um, I think that the magazine serves a specific purpose, which is for people who want to read Mac stuff in that format, get something in paper they can take around with them. Um, the layout is much more attractive than um, you have a lot of control over on the web. I mean, the web, it's still hard to, to do a beautiful photo spread and, you know, your screen is 72 DPI or 90 DPI, uh, whereas we're at, we're at a very high resolution on paper. And so, you know, photographs are more detailed and we can have room for big product tables and all that stuff that print is good at, we, we want to do in print. But there's a lot of stuff that you used to only be able to get in print and now you can get it online and it's better online. And that's things like buying advice and latest reviews and breaking news and things that are dynamic, searchable databases, uh, sites like Mac OS X Hints where people are submitting tips and then Rob Griffiths is going through them and picking the best ones and posting them. I mean, that's stuff that it has to happen on the web, and that's great. I mean, Macworld really is not about print anymore. It's not about ink on paper. It's about great Mac stuff, and we'll give it to you in whatever format is right. And that could be a PDF, but more likely it's going to be you know, either on paper or it's going to be on a website. And that's fine. That's what we're committed to is as long as it's good stuff and as long as it's what readers want, we'll deliver it in any form. Hi, Saroos, and all of you listeners out there. This is Thomas from Montreal in Canada. I just wanted to say, I really appreciate hearing the opinions of Macworld editors on new announcements of products. I think audio is so much warmer than printed words. I also enjoyed Rob Griffiths' stories about Windows on the Mac. I'd like to see more guests from outside that can comment on interesting new developments, like Jeff Hahn on the touchscreen technology. I thought that was great. Now my question to Macworld editors. Why do you think Apple keeps future products so secret? Was it always like that, or did it amplify after Steve Jobs returned to the company? Really, any editor can answer this, but I thought maybe Jason Snell, since he seems to have been at Macworld for the longest time. Just a quick comment on the new 17-inch MacBook Pro. I've heard people say this wasn't a very exciting product. I disagree. I'm really happy that Apple has added the additional USB port and the FireWire 800 port. I understand some people can dislike big notebooks because of their weight, but I think the MacBook Pro will sell well. So thanks for taking the time to hear me, and I hope I can get one of these iTrips. That's a really good question. Why does Apple keep future products so secret? I think, you know, Steve Jobs definitely has a sense of showmanship, um, I think he understands that big buildup, big secrets can lead to better press coverage. I, I suspect that if 
Apple told people what they were going to be getting a few months in advance, it would be very hard for them to get a new product on the cover of Time or Newsweek or Fortune. And, and they do that on a regular basis. So there's definitely, I think, a huge publicity value in making news with your product releases. There's also the advantage that you don't have that kind of negative publicity that comes with a product not coming out. If you look at how long it's been since Microsoft announced Longhorn, which is now Vista, it's been years since that product was announced and it's still not out. And by the time it ships, you know, it's going to be the, everybody's going to be exhausted. It's going to be the end of a long slog, not an exciting new product. Now, Microsoft probably couldn't have gotten away with keeping it a secret, but there definitely is a contrast in styles there between Microsoft, which sort of pre-announces everything, hoping that they'll scare people out of the way, and Apple, which sort of doesn't care whether people know in advance and would prefer just to make that big splash in the press. So I think that's why they do it. I think they do a really good job at it. Um, I think they've been doing that more since Steve Jobs came back. Apple generally likes to make a big splash with new products, but Jobs, since Jobs has been back, first off, um, since he's been back, there have been more big products. <laughs> there weren't when he was gone. The the a lot of the products from Apple were not particularly exciting. Um, they definitely keep a better secret now than they used to. Uh, they used to actually brief the press much more in advance about new products. And, you know, today we get no word about these new products before they come out, especially the hardware. They don't tell anybody. And if they, if they do tell anybody about anything, it's usually a couple of people, the Walt Mossberg at the, at the, uh, Wall Street Journal or the David Pogue at the New York Times, those kind of guys. Um, and not yours truly or anybody else here at Macworld. So generally, I think Steve Jobs has something to do with it. I think it's always been part of Apple's um, DNA. And I do think that they do um, get a big benefit from doing it. And I, I think that they would not get as much publicity if they didn't have this sort of air of secrecy and, you know, what crazy thing are they going to do next? What rabbit is Steve Jobs going to pull out of his hat next? I think that that cultivates uh, uh, an image of them as... Uh, yes, secretive, but also sort of like magicians, to, to extend that metaphor, that, that I think it gets them much better publicity because of it. So um, that's why they do it, and um, Steve Jobs is definitely one of the big reasons why. Hi, my name is Joshua Gilliland. I'm a listener living in Shanghai, China. I thought that you might be interested in hearing about my impressions of how Apple is doing here in China, specifically in Shanghai. The iPod is really huge in Shanghai. There are lots of ads for iPods in subway stations, on buildings, and other places. It's also pretty common here to see people walking around listening to iPods, although it's not as common as it is in the U.S. From what I can see, this is mostly due to the competition Apple is facing from all the cheap MP3 players available over here, and the fact that the iPod is much more expensive here relative to the average person's salary. iPods are also regularly given away in contests and sweepstakes. The overall impression I get is that the iPod has a fairly high mind share here in Shanghai, but doesn't yet have the market share to equal it. When it comes to computers, China, unfortunately, is far and away a Windows world. Apple's computers aren't that popular over here. Most people think that Apple computers are attractively made, but they're afraid to get one because of OS X. I have encountered a much higher level of ignorance about OS X over here than I have in the U.S., also, pirated copies of Windows and pirated software for Windows are readily available over here, but nothing of the sort exists for Mac OS X, so that creates a big economic barrier for anyone interested in purchasing a Mac. As for buying Macs, there are no Apple stores here in China. Rather, everything is sold through licensed resellers. Lots of stores stock iPods, but no Apple computers. 
There are a few stores that sell only Apple gear, but not a lot, and they're nowhere near as nice as any of the Apple stores that I've visited in the U.S. Overall, being a Mac user in Shanghai is not as convenient as it is in the U.S. However, Apple's success with the iPod and China's rapid development seems to suggest that this is a market that will only grow for Apple. I just can't wait until we get real Apple stores over here. And I suppose it would be nice if my bank's website didn't require Windows too. Hello, Cyrus. This is Kenny and Lee, and I'm from Suzhou, China, a city about a couple of miles west of Shanghai. I've been your listener ever since January this year, when those Intel Macs were released. I really enjoy the show. I think it really brings a lot of new cool stuffs instantly whenever there is an Apple release, and I really appreciate that. And I really like to hear more about dual booting and boot camp, or those multiple systems on an Intel Mac, because I'm still Windows user and really considering switching from Windows to Intel Mac. And in the last show, what you brought to us, the parallel workstation that is able to run multiple system on an Intel Max, and I think that is really impressing. So, if you like to do a more of cool stuff on that subject, I I will very appreciate that, and wish you a next. Great show and thank you. Well, hi there. My name is Vincent Zhechev and I'm a Bulgarian student in Germany. I wanted to make few comments on show number thirty-six and mostly on installing Tiger on older Macintosh systems. I'm actually a system administrator here at the university, at the Department of General Linguistics. And I have installed Tiger on several systems which aren't really supported. Amongst them, of course, the IMAX, more or less in the same way you described, just literally taking the hard drive out of the and well, I didn't have an enclosure, so I just had to put it in some other Mac around and then install Tiger, whatever. Other systems on which I did this thing is well the nice black PowerBooks, the PowerBook G3. Of course, you can install it without any problem on the Pismo, but not on the、uh, Lombard. And we have a few here which have a G4 CPU upgrade, which is well way better than what they had. And I thought that it would be a shame just to leave those systems behind with Panda. And well, Tiger runs more or less okay. Of course, you have some problems with with waking up from sleep, but anyway, it did have the same problems with Panda. So that's mainly what I wanted to tell you. And yeah, keep up the good work. It's really a nice podcast. Bye bye. Hi, Cyrus. Um, my name is Desmond from Clyde, North Carolina, and I'm looking for a pair of sub fifty dollar earbuds. And I was just wondering what you thought.、Um, I love the podcast. Bye.
Hi Desmond, this is Dan Frakes, a senior editor at Macworld and the senior reviews editor over at PlaylistMag.com. Thanks for your question. Now by earbuds, I'm assuming you mean headphones similar to the small white models that come with the iPod itself. If so, we found a number of good options that sell for under $50. In fact, some of the best ones we found have actually been among the least expensive. For example, Sennheiser has two models, the MX400 and the MX500, which sell for $15 to $20. And AKG has a couple models, the K12P and the K14P, that are around $20 to $25. All four of these models are going to give you sound that's better than Apple's own earbuds. They're going to give you a little bit better bass, some better treble, and for some people they're going to be a little more comfortable because they're slightly smaller than the iPod stock earbuds. All four include a little plastic wind-up case, and the higher models, the K14P and the Sennheiser MX500, also include an inline volume control that lets you adjust the volume on the headphones without having to use the iPod's controls. Now, if you're willing to spend a little more, one of our favorite earbuds is Vmoda's Remix M-Class. These are $50, but you get what you pay for. Instead of having cheap plastic construction, these are made of metal alloy and are available in metallic pink, metallic blue, and silver. They look great, but they also sound great. They give you better bass than Apple's Buds. They give you better detail, better mid-range. They're pretty much better across the board. And they're probably the best traditional earbuds we've heard. Thanks again for your question, Desmond. And if you have any other questions about headphones, come over to PlaylistMag.com, Macworld's iPod site, where we've got a whole library of iPod accessory reviews and recommendations. Hey, Zeus. This is Graham from Norway. I've got a couple of Mac tips and tricks to share. You probably know that you can access the application switcher by pressing Command-Tab. If you press Q while the application switcher is open, it will quit the selected application. And if you press H, it will hide the selected application. This is one I find really useful. In Safari, when you do a Google search, if you hold down the Command key when you hit Enter, it will do your search in a new tab or window, depending on how you have it set up. In the menu bar, you can reorder the menu extras in the upper right-hand corner by holding down the command key and dragging them. You can even drag them out of the menu bar to quickly get rid of them. Okay, hope those are helpful, and keep up the great work with the podcast. Hey, Cyrus. Phil Walker dialing in from Canberra, Australia. Long way from where you are, but uh, still very much hooked into your podcast through the network. Mate, I just wanted to say how much I enjoy your podcast and, uh, and to talk a little bit about my experience with the Macs. I'm actually a, uh, an avid uh, Windows XP and PC user, but um, recent times we've started to move uh, our home computing system over to Mac, and it's, a, it's an experience I thoroughly enjoy, I've got to say. Um, I'm finding your podcast very useful to help me get info on, on Macintosh and the technology around it, and then I guess the general goings-on about Apple. I also love my little iPod Nano. I use it all the time. I listen to your podcast and a range of other podcasts as well using the Nano. And I love the way that it integrates uh, with my with my Macintosh and uh, it just makes life a whole lot easier. So, just wanted to say, keep up the good work. Uh, great podcast, good information, and as a new Mac user, it's just perfect for me. In terms of suggestions for your podcast... Well, being a new Mac user, I, I would always benefit from um, you coming back to the basics on uh, on how these things work and, and I guess, uh, what way to get the best out of uh, a Macintosh these days. Although I'd have to say um, they're quite easy to use and I'm finding that not too much of a challenge uh, as it is. So keep up the good work and, and oh yeah, if you're uh, going to be handing out uh, iTrips, I would love a little iTrip for my Nano. Cyrus, have a good day. Thanks again and uh, keep up the good work. Bye-bye. Hello, Cyrus. This is Phil. I'm checking in from Fullerton, California. Thanks for the opportunity to be on your show. 
Uh, I want to start off with a couple things that I really like about Apple computers, and then I'm going to give you a question. Uh, first of all, what I like about Apple, um, one thing that I've noticed about Apple computers is that they have just impeccable attention to style in the way they design things, uh, whether it's an iPod or a PowerBook or their desktop computers. Um, they're almost like a piece of art. And I remember the first time I saw one of my college professors using a PowerBook, I looked at it and I was like, wow, this is a beautiful-looking computer. It just screams elegance. And the other thing about Apple that I think um, really does them a lot of good is that they make it very easy to identify their computers. Because of that style, um, you could look at someone across the coffee uh house and see someone using their power book and you'll be like hey you know that's uh that's a mac and uh it, it really creates this uh, almost like a cult following for their machines now the question i have i'd like to direct this to chris green um with the the apple computer that i have and, and I, I also have an ipod i find myself carrying a lot of cables whenever i go on trips um do you think apple will come out with any kind of wireless means uh, such as Bluetooth for synchronizing an iPod with a computer. That's something that I would really appreciate. Um, and it actually, the fact that there, that such a technology doesn't exist makes it uh, a lot more difficult for me to synchronize, and I don't do it as often as I would like to. So that's my question. Thanks a lot, and keep up the great work. Hi, Phil. It's Chris Breen. Thanks very much for the question. Cables of all varieties will likely go the way of the dodo in the future. There already exist technologies for charging devices like your cell phone by placing it on a charge pad. And, of course, we're familiar with the various varieties of 802.11 wireless networking and Bluetooth. Apple could probably implement Bluetooth syncing now if it wanted to, but there are a couple of considerations to be dealt with. First is battery power. Syncing a library of a few thousand songs over Bluetooth would pull a lot of power from your iPod's battery and drain it more quickly than you'd like. Apple's unlikely to implement a feature that would leave your iPod with half a charge after syncing. And then there's transfer speed. Moving data, in this case we're talking about movies, pictures, and music, happens pretty rapidly over the iPod's USB 2 or, in the case of older iPod's Firewire cable connections. A wireless transfer using Bluetooth would be far slower. Space age as it may sound, Apple's not likely to implement a wireless connection that's going to make the iPod appear clunky and slow. Now, I'm not suggesting that Apple won't create a wireless iPod, one that can be synced without wires or use wireless headphones, only acknowledging that there's some problems to be solved before it can. In the meantime, get yourself an iPod dock, plug it into your Mac, and at the end of the day, drop your iPod into the dock. Once it's in the iPod, the iPod will charge and sync if you set it up to sync automatically. With that set up in place and you make a habit of doing this, iTunes and your iPod will be synced every day. Hey, Sarus, this is Kyle from Iowa City calling... I am one of those people that has always been interested in the Mac Mini as a media center PC. Kind of plunk it there right next to your TV and go to town with it. Uh, one thing that I have been worried about, however, is the overscan issue. Uh, I don't have a brand new digital display. I don't have a DVI or HDMI input. And so that would be an issue for me. The entire menu bar would just get lopped off up there at the top. I've heard that the new Intel Macs, Intel Mac Minis have taken care of this, that they have some sort of display property where you can kind of adjust the overscan and help compensate for those of us who would be working with either an S-Video or a composite connection. But I was wondering if anyone there at uh, Macworld has taken a look at this, seen how it works. Um, 
this would really influence my decision in getting a Mac Mini and most likely picking up one of the Elgato uh, PVR recorders. But if you could look into this for me, that'd be really great. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Kyle. It's Chris Breen from Macworld. You asked about using a Mac Mini with a television set connected via composite or S-video and whether you'd lose the menu bar when you do that. And the answer is no, you don't. I connected my new Mac Mini to a television using Apple's DVI to video adapter. This is a $19 adapter that you'll need to get. You've got DVI on one end, and then on the other end is a little box that has um, a composite connector as well as a S-video connector. When you pull up the picture, it's a little stretched, but you still get the menu bar. It doesn't look nearly as good as it will on a monitor, but on a television you can see what's going on. Go to System Preferences and then to Display Preference, and you'll see that the resolution is 800 by 600 interlaced by default at 60 hertz. You can change that to 1024, but you really don't want to unless you've got a huge television monitor. The screen gets, or the picture gets really tiny. Within that display system preference, you'll see an options tab. If you click that, you'll notice that there is an overscan option there. It's off by default, and that means that you can then see the menu bar. If you switch that option on, the menu bar disappears and the picture gets bigger to fill the screen. So if you want to see what it looks like, you're welcome to turn that option on, take a look, and then when you want your menu bar back, switch it off. And that's pretty much the whole story. Hope you found this helpful. Hi, this is Stuart here from Melbourne, Australia. I'd like to ask one of your uh, Macworld editors uh, a question that when I was using Mac OS 8 and 9 some many years ago now, uh, that attachments in email pretty much were the same size as in a 2 meg file. When I'd send it off, it would be a two, roughly a 2 meg file. Uh, now that we're switched over to Mac OS X, I've noticed that when we send emails, if it's a, a 2 meg file, suddenly it's expanded now to a 5 meg email. And um, it sort of sets a little bit of confusion. I don't really understand why. Um, I've looked all through websites and um, no one really seems to know the answer. So uh, it would be really great to hear back from you guys and um, yeah, find out the reason why. Okay, thanks for that. Bye. Hi, Stuart. It's Chris Breen from Macworld Magazine, and I've won the lottery. I get to answer your question. This isn't actually a function of Mac OS X. Rather, it's the nature of the overhead that comes with sending attachments. It's like this. When you send an attachment that isn't plain text, that attachment has to be converted to plain text that then represents the contents of the attachment. The process for doing this is called MIME encoding. When a recipient receives your message that's encoded this way, that person's email program then decodes the MIME-encoded attachment to turn it back into the file that you originally sent. Now, while this is a minor miracle, it's not storage efficient. MIME-encoded files swell in size. A reasonable rule of thumb is to assume that any attachment when MIME-encoded will swell to about half again its size. So, for example, a 3-megabyte attachment might weigh in at around 4.5 megabytes. You want to keep this in mind when sending attachments. Most ISPs limit you to a certain sized email message, say 10 megs or so. If you attach an 8 megabyte file, it's going to weigh in at around 12 megabytes after being encoded, and your ISP won't let it through. Now, if you've got an attachment that's that big, you want to try to segment it or find another way to send it. For example, post it on an FTP server and then send the recipient the link to that server. This hasn't really changed from the old days. It's just the nature of the beast. My guess is that you're noticing it more now because, like all of us, you're enclosing larger attachments than you used to. 
Well, that about wraps up the show. Macworld Podcast number 38. I'm so happy to hear uh, those comments and questions and stuff coming from everywhere. I was really amazed at the diversity of questions, the diversity of voices, the diversity of locations. Uh, would love to hear from more of you. So if you haven't sent in a comment or question already, please do send it to me, cfaravar at macworld.com. Feel free to ask a question of any of the Macworld staffers. Uh, we heard from Dan Frakes as well as Chris Breen and Jason Snell. Uh, but go ahead and ask a, a question of anyone. Um, you can uh, you can ask a question to me directly uh, or to, you know, any of those folks. Uh, they'd be happy to, to hear from you. Also, if you'd like to ask questions of previous guests uh we can we can try and arrange that as well for example Derek's story um about his article new life for old photos which of course is available at macworld.com and linked in our show notes in addition to audio comments we'd also appreciate it if you left written comments in our macworld forums we have a very active forum community so if you haven't checked out the show notes go down at the bottom there's a little thing that says post a comment and you can click right on there and generate a discussion and have at it. You'll find that a lot of our articles, in fa- if not all of our articles, at Macworld.com and as well as PlaylistMag.com have a space for you to leave a comment so you can engage in discussion and dialogue with your fellow Macworld brethren. So, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to hearing more comments, so keep them coming. Also make sure and check out all of the other websites that we have that are part of the Mac publishing umbrella, macOS10hints.com, that's macOSxhints.com, playlistmag.com, as well as macworld.com, of course, and our brand new blog, I should say we have two new blogs, macuser.com, which I'm posting on all the time, as well as our brand new Macworld Gadget Box blog. This is available at gadgets.macworld.com. So if you're interested in other technology stuff, gadgetry and and that sort of thing, go ahead on over to gadgets.macworld.com. We've got Dan Morin and Derek DeLong from MacUser who are blogging over there. So check that out. It's brand new, just started. So give them a try. I think think you'll like what you see. So that about wraps it up for me. Um, Again, keep the audio comments coming. Keep the emails coming. Keep it all uh, interesting and fun. So... Hope to hear from you all again soon, and uh, you can catch me here, of course, next time on the Macworld Podcast. Signing off from San Francisco, this is Saru Svaravar for the Macworld Podcast.